The wheel of time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me are Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. And Kelly Frank. Hello. You can find us at Wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash Wattcast. Your support means a lot. Even $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps. But if you join at the $5 Tar Valentier and enter the White Tower, you'll get access to special bonus episodes where we talk about things like Dune and The Witcher and related Wheel of Time subjects. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wattcast.net with the subject line questions. We will answer those here on the show. And today, we are digging into book two of the series, The Great Hunt, chapters 21 to 25. So a quick summary of where we're at and what happened this week. Rand's party got last week out of the other world that they went through, the stone that took them to this world that might be or might have been, and he and Selene, the, the stranger that they met there, and Loyal and Hurin, they, they go to an inn in Cahiene and find out about the Game of Houses, a political system that dominates Cahiene. Selene disappears, um, and they continue on their way to the city. Meanwhile, Moraine is, uh, she is in full-on study mode and trying to find things about the, the prophecies and what's happening in the world as these conversations with Lan. And, uh, and narrowly survives an encounter, finally, with the drag car, which we had described in the first book. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Nynaeve and Egwene are settling into the White Tower, where Egwene is being taken in as a novice and learning what that entails, while Nynaeve is subjected to a harrowing ritual through uh, a special Terangriol uh, in order to become one of the accepted, uh, who will eventually become a nice Sedai. Uh, and then that's pretty much the gist of it uh, until Rand's party uh, does arrive in Carrienne and they're there briefly before getting assaulted with invitations from noble houses who think that Rand is some uh, some visiting lord from Andor tied up in all sorts of intrigue and he meets Tom Marilyn presumed to be dead definitely not dead very much alive back into back into our lives uh, and also Min shows up again at the White Tower, where Gwen meets her and Delane, also re-entering in the story. It's a big bunch of chapters for character re-entries. Uh, Keely, what were the highlights this week for you? So, obviously, some of the big characters that they brought back were super enjoyable. Um, so seeing Min again, I thought was really good. Um, I wasn't sure if they were going to introduce that character at all in this book because now we're mm -hmm. over halfway through. And so I just wasn't sure where they were going with it. Um, I really enjoyed the learning more about 
how the Aes Sedai training works, um, like with uh, Egwene becoming, is, is Egwene now a novice? Or yep. I can't remember what their hierarchy is. Yeah. And then with all the stuff happening with Nynaeve having to go through those giant like archways, I guess they were. Yeah. Um, and some of those were really difficult, um, which we'll talk about more when we like mm-hmm. move to that part. But I thought that was really neat. Um, still kind of tired of Rand, even though he's the main guy. I'm just tired of reading about him. And even when he's not on screen with Egwene and Elaine and Min, how much of that chapter is dedicated to Rand's absence uh, or, pr- or presence, right? And then, um, yeah, just the the final like big reveal in chapter 25 um, with the person I've been waiting for to come back. <laughs> we didn't get too much. Uh, like he, uh, am I remembering right that it's like. Rand is Rand is wandering through the city, happens upon the show, hears a familiar voice, and then it's Tom on stage. And they do go backstage together and are catching up briefly. Um, and we don't even really get into catch up about Tom, right? It's more like no. obliquely catch, catching up on what's happened with, with Rand, Matt, and Perrin and company. Yeah, it was really just like a super quick, like, it's obvious that Tom is trying to be as discreet as possible. Because mm-hmm. as soon as they notice that, like, someone is looking at him, he's like, oh, shit, gotta go. So he basically is just like, hey, you're alive. I'm alive. Bring me my fucking shit back and we'll talk about it <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> like, that's kind of the extent of it. Yeah, so presumably we'll get a lot more there. Yeah, I did, I did yeah. love love the where the fuck is my harp moment or the, <laughs> my, harp, my, my harp and flute. Um, the, uh, as, as, as obviously uh, happy as he is to see Rand okay. Uh, n- nice getting still a bristly old Tom. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, just for the listeners be- benefit, uh, Dan has himself on mute at the second to avoid, uh, the chapter 25 spoilers, uh, because he, because he didn't, uh, didn't get the chance to get to that one yet. So we are going to cordon off any Tom arrival discussion here for the rest of the show. Uh, anything else that we, that we need to on that chapter or, or subject on the, I guess Rand burns the invitations and, uh, mm-hmm. there, you know, which is like in itself a provocation politically, um, but, but it, we didn't, we didn't really see any of the fallout of that or, or what becomes of it right in that chapter. It is mostly leading up to the Tom reveal. Yeah, there's, there's not much. It's really just like, he's noticing, Rand is just noticing more people look at him. And so I'm not fully understanding the dynamics of people thinking he's a Lord, thinking he's possibly Aiel, them hating the Aiel. Mm-hmm. And then all of that, like, political power game that everyone is playing. Yeah. Um, so it's like, no matter what he does, it's a signal that he's actually playing whatever game it is. Um, so that I'm not enjoying as much, but it's really just, like, opening up more questions. I felt like Chapter 25 read the fastest of any of the chapters. Oh, yeah. That, that went by real quick. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I guess we'll get into probably more next time about the implications of all of all that and the the dice that mar the game of houses stuff and what's going on with ran in which case uh we'll we'll, we'll cordon off the chapter 25 and uh let let poor dan back into the discussion until such time as as he is caught up with those events uh but otherwise dan what were your highlights from the chapters you read this week from 21 to 24 it's hard to kind of consolidate the things I liked because overall these chapters flowed pretty nicely and I was kind of I was happy with the progression for the most part in all of them um I liked I liked the end scene with Ray and I feel like that was one of the more mature sequences we've had with him um he engaged like I feel like he always is stumbling over himself with strangers and saying things like like all three of the 
the men are in the group, like Matt, Perrin, and, and Rand are always like putting their foot in their mouths or saying stuff that reveals more than they should. And I feel like he kind of handled this situation. He's getting a little smarter about these interactions and understanding it. Um, I especially liked uh, Nynaeve's journey through like the three arches and everything in her chapter. Mm-hmm. It was nice to get her perspective. I still, I think the only thing that bothers me, I, I love the chapter. I'm still not convinced about this whole motivation. Like the thing that seems to be driving her is this idea, this need to best Moraine. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like a strong enough motivator for a character to kind of progress through these like really harsh trials. Like I love her character. I think she's like more well-rounded than a lot of the other female characters in the book. Um, I'm rooting for her, but I'm also just, every time it comes around to that, I'm just like, really, this is your driving force in life is to best Moraine and like, like, it just feels so, Im- I don't know, I just, I feel personally like it's very immature, like she hasn't come to a point of recognizing Moraine's character, and the, the hatred for Moraine just feels still kind of out of place for me. Do you, do you think, I was thinking a bunch about that particular thing, uh, because that, that was my first reaction as well, but I wonder, to what extent do you think that that is a cover that Nynaeve gives herself as her excuse, uh, like, like, like in a conscious sense for why she wants to be an Aes Sedai, because... Uh, because I don't think that's actually why she wants to be an Aes Sedai. I don't think that's why she's actually oh, it's here. It's, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Like, she doesn't really want to kill Moraine. And she's not really, like, doing all of this out of spite that Moraine ruined their lives. Moraine is, like, I think she is plenty smart enough to know it's not Moraine's fault that they are Taverin and Rand is the, the dragon, that, that their lives are all uprooted. And But I think she just, like you said, maybe there is a kind of immaturity there that she doesn't want to recognize the part of herself that, you know, this is what she wants to do do in life. And she has this ability, this potential that, uh, and that she, yeah, maybe, maybe that is an immaturity that she, she wants what Moraine has in a lot of ways. And that manifest as this real, like non nonsense, revenge, bitterness there that, she, that she's going to have the power yeah. to dis- destroy her kind of thing. It made sense for me in the first book, but as you pointed out, it's like an excuse catalyst for her to be able to like have a reason for doing things that feel against her nature. But by this point, maybe it's still a little too early on, and maybe maybe it just requires more time. I expect her to be mature enough to recognize it's a false catalyst or kind of rationale for like it's the it still feels like a driving factor like because it's deep down in her thoughts it's like what she's thinking about in these very mm-hmm. core moments i think on a surface level it works as a good excuse for if others are asking about her her reasoning and it's like it doesn't betray her intentions but if those are her like deep down thoughts in those moments of like desperation when she's going through those trials that felt out of place for me like yeah i feel like we should have gotten more of like she she should have had a little more self-awareness there and it comes off as very immature for somebody who is more mature so it's just like i don't know it's like really that's going to be your drive you're in these like really dark moments of desperation and that's your mm-hmm. driving force is you want to like <laughs> beat moraine yeah like, you gotta have more than that it kind of makes her character feel shallow to me mm. yeah. like it doesn't matter what is happening and maybe i mean maybe there is going to be more to her character that we're going to learn more about her motivations and all of that but if every single time that something happens her brain <laughs> is automatically like well fuck moraine it's like well <laughs> do you think about anything else so I don't. I'm. I am getting kind of tired of that. That it yeah. just seems. It. It seems played out. Like we fucking get it. The same with Rand wanting to be a shepherd. Like we fucking get yeah. it. Move on. And I, I think maybe this is yet another moment where when we get to uh, to Zoe. Oh, what uh, blanking on her last name? Zoe. So and so who plays um, who plays naive in the show. Uh, but, but but when we get to this part in the show, I have a feeling it'll be much much faster recognition of you know she has she has these 
this Tiangriol, which you go into as part of becoming an accepted, the hazing ritual that you, you know, if you, if you, you might die during, or you might quit uh, and not, and not <laughs> yep. become a nice die. Cause we learned that they only accept a very tiny percentage of even the novices and accepted all who ultimately become Aes Sedai. And it confronts you with your deepest fears, you know, classic, like, you know, myth thing. It's, it's the swamps of Dagobah. It's, it's Luke go, going in, uh, in there, uh, and and I think Nynaeve in the show might more quickly have the self-awareness to realize, oh, her deep, one of her, her deep, dark fears, one of them, a core one, is abandoning the people of the two rivers, abandoning this thing that, you know, that she gave her life to and her life's purpose is supposed to be as wisdom. This is her family that she's supposed to take care of and not being able to reconcile that with really wanting to be an Aes Sedai or, and or having a greater purpose and duty to the world, maybe uh, uh, like th- that, or not that she, not that she doesn't have a duty to the two rivers, but that she might have to forsake this one duty in order to, uh, to you know, save the planet, kind of, or that she has th- this uh, this whole other thing going on, and that I imagine would be something that she might recognize more quickly in the more in the more mature, already more advanced show naive rather than here. She, at least in these chapters, she doesn't put those things together, right? Like she, I mean, she doesn't really have time to maybe because we don't really see her contemplating that after the testing and after those harrowing things. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she'll get there by the end of the novel, but I, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, I definitely, and even it's never, it's never really felt the same in the show. Like I feel like the actresses, the actress and the screenwriting have handled just, just in generally much better than the book has as her, her like motivation. Like, it's still the same character, but feels more real. And she's not as like, I feel like it just boiled down to that hatred and kind of drive of like Moraine. Whereas in the show that's there, but it's not the only factor. And mm-hmm. kind of that, that instinct to protect her friends and kind of be that like more motherly figure is, is there stronger and there she's more sympathetic and more kind of, I don't know. It's easier to root for her in the show than it is yeah. in the book. Yeah. In the book, she's like, it does seem very immature in that way, but it just, it's not entire. her character is not entirely believable to me because her personality seems so fragmented at times hmm. because on one hand, she wants to be very protective of everyone from the two rivers. On the other hand, she wants to be kind of combative and a pain in the ass and like <laughs> d- demanding respect, but not giving it and like mm-hmm. being almost as petty as how they're treating her. But it's also like, I feel like she, she's not taking the time to think about how her actions are impacting other people. Because while Egwene is definitely like a side character at this point, like there's barely anything <laughs> happening with her, she's getting the blowback from the bullshit of Nynaeve. Hmm. Um, where it's like Nynaeve is taking kind of all of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very much that like everyone's super powerful, not you. <laughs> and like <laughs> even when she's fighting, when she's like having her interactions with any of the other Aes Sedai or even with, with the Amaralyn seat, um, Egwene is like literally feeling the blowback from that where she's sitting there like you know we talked about last time with the Emerald and Seat like binding them with mm-hmm. the, the one power and Egwene afterwards is just like hello yeah, <laughs> like I'm I still, still can't fucking move <laughs> so it, it's for being as protective as she wants people to think that she is mm-hmm. she's not really doing a good job of it and what do we what do we think of the the journey itself um, I guess uh we the 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 three do these three things i guess uh equal equally line up with their character we 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 should put here and and in the show notes um a a, a, a content warning for the uh attempted sexual assault 
I think mm-hmm. basically it's characterized as uh, in, in the first part where Nynaeve is confronted with Agenor the Forsaken again, who mm-hmm. I, I'm, remember, I, I'm remembering now in Eye of the World, I, I had the memory of that being an implication in that scene. Um, but but mm-hmm. I think that might have been because of this in, in The Great Hunt. Like, I, I think it's not really said in at the end of the eye of the world that there's a, that there's that element to it necessarily though, though it's hinted at and here it becomes more explicit that there is yeah. this this threat of sexual assault and there's the element of Nynaeve has to go into the arches naked everybody does who goes through these things um for ritualistic reasons and then and then we learn for very practical reasons of uh you might die if you wear anything or bring any kind of protection uh go- going in into this thing um but I guess I, I guess I interpret it. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's my my interpretation here is this thing is being told explicitly that these are this thing is confronting you with your deepest fears, but it's also got this whole what was, what is, and what will mm-hmm. be kind of thing. That's I don't know, sort of doing a ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, <laughs> uh, um, which would imply that the three that Nynaeve's three greatest inner fears are. We could take the first one as 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 a combination of maybe of of being assaulted of powerlessness. Uh, I, I could, could you know fear of being being used and abused by by a man. Um, all all those things rolled in there. But then and then there's also this element of each of these as a temptation to where you could stay in this parallel world and 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 sort of conquer your fear. But the ultimate test is like whether you can leave it behind in each of these realities so she has she realizes she has the power to destroy agonor and then has to leave and then in the second one she realizes she has the power to save the two rivers but then has to leave them behind as her friend is begging and in the third it's you know le- like having the family with lan uh that that she desperately wants and then having having to leave that behind so those being i guess we're guess we're being told the three core fears uh for Nynaeve, but but there's a little bit of tension there. It's not entirely clear to me how how the core fear ties into the the leaving behind thing necessarily, because those seem like a little bit different and kind of related, and what they say about the character are not necessarily the same thing. So I and I don't know. It's in- interesting, and I'm, and I'm 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 not sure how how much to read into the psychology there versus like the um like the mythic sort of these are the trials, these are the the tests that you must go through to become to confront your demons and, and become a hero kind of thing or, or or to obtain this legendary power. Yeah, to me, it kind of read as like, you go in, we're going to make you as vulnerable as possible. Mm-hmm. And you need to prove that you're strong enough, no matter what situation you're in, to not do things that are out of your control as like a, a knee-jerk reaction. Um, so like you don't just immediately pull the power or get roped into someone making promises to you or something like that. Like, I think to me, that's how it read was that like, we're going to test you in ways that we think dark friends might try to test you or the dark one might try to test Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they could have done it better. (laughs) I am aggressively against any kind of sexual violence in fiction. Um, as a way to show vulnerability or control Mm. or power or anything like that, like absolutely not needed. You could have a hundred percent shown that she was afraid of losing control in any other way. 
instead of implying, which, I mean, maybe that wasn't what he was going for, but it very obviously read to me as she is afraid of what this man is going to do to her because he says to her oh, the yeah, things yeah. he's going to do to her, and they never explain what that is. So fill in the blanks. And so I felt like I think that's taking an easy way out of how to write that dynamic is is being like oh well we're just gonna make again like fragile woman the man is gonna rape her like i i fucking hate that absolutely hate that okay rant over (laughs) but i think like that is kind of what they were getting at though was like you know we don't know what you're going to encounter but you have this crazy ability and you need to be able to rein in your shit and Mm -hmm. and not do something that's going to harm everyone else because they've like Nynaeve they've said the only way that she's able to use the power or willing to use the power is to piss her off so it's like she is totally emotion driven so they show her these things of like you know wanting to be protective of the two rivers wanting to be with land like these big emotional scenes for her um so that's how i was reading it i think it was hilarious that as soon as she comes out they dump cold water on her like (laughs) okay you're done emotion gone (laughs) like um that's that was my take on it it's interesting on the control thing because we learned from is it shirium the mistress of novices who's who's leading her through this uh and giving her uh like the the tutorial in advance because we she's not even supposed to be able to channel the one power there she's not supposed to have any memory of it and yeah. she mm-hmm. and this has never happened with, with, you know <laughs> yet another we've never seen this before you, you <laughs> people are, are cha- chain the rules and Sherry's like okay uh definitely don't do that again um because people who did channel in when the ice that i went in um back during like the around the time of the trollock wars or, or thereafter came out or they either they either did not come out or they came out completely burnt out of yeah. the one power. Um, but it is interesting that she's able to do it in the first in the first one. Um, oh, and then at the very end, in the third one, she actually stays too long, right? With with Lan, um, yeah. and, and the gate disappears, and she makes it come back. She does something, it seems, um, to force to for like reopen the silvery gate that it closed because his voice keeps being like the way is open but once or, or something like that, and mm-hmm. then it's closed forever. And I guess the, my, my, I, I kind of wonder if, to me, this coming in this book it, uh, and so soon after um, the Rand and Huron and Loyal Journey suggests that these are potentially maybe actual other worlds, like that these are branching mm-hmm. alternaverses where, you know, there, there are infinite, infinite multiverse of any possible eventualities. And these are the ones that align with these, what, what this test is trying to bring out and in, in, in particular fears and, and overcoming the the test of what you can handle in those situations and, and still get away. And you do. And I wonder if like the people who don't come out of it, like they, they do just wind up staying and living in these other realities and, instead of coming back to their own. But yeah, interesting that Nynaeve also breaks that rule and is able to force a way out even after the, the time window has closed on the third test. I wrote that down. I was wondering that like, are the, the women that went in previously that didn't come out, did they fall for whatever was being shown to them? Mm -hmm. Um, So like in that alternate, you know, timeline, did Nynaeve stay with Lan or did she stay in the two rivers? Um, So I don't know. I also think it's really interesting that we would potentially be getting introduced that introduced to characters that are from these other timelines. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> that's just like a weird like normally the timelines are not supposed to talk to each other. So that's just like a really weird thing for me. And I don't know if we explicitly said it, but the content warning is for chapter 23 only. Right. Uh, the the testing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll admit on that, like meeting the other characters there. Uh, the 
I, I don't know about Lan's dialogue in, in that section, but I did get a little bit emotional just conceptually of the, uh, in a way that I don't think I did as a kid, but the, um, the, the have, you know, the having a family, have, having, having that relationship uh, that they always wanted. And when he's like, when he's talking about their, their kids and what they're like, and, and you know, just a brief, brief summary of the, the personality on each of them, I was getting bits of uh, a flashback to the the inner light that episode of star trek the next generation where where picard like lives out a whole life in this um in this memory state of this world that's been destroyed not not real but then you know he comes out of it and has the experience of having had a had a family there and brought up kids there who all turn out not to have been real at the end of it but he still has the and granted nynaeve only gets a brief flash of that she doesn't even meet the kids here but that part did work for me a, a little bit at the at the like striking uh, emotional level of what she is leaving behind here, uh, at least in this moment, to to pursue the path that she is taking. Uh, and just I, I, I actually had yeah, I actually had the opposite because I feel like no. they haven't. <laughs> I don't feel like they've earned their romance in the books yet. Like the show's doing a better job of that, but even the this show has stumbled a bunch like closer to the end of like just forcing it too much, and like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel organically grown in the books to the point where they show this. And to me, it just kind of hit those spots of like. I don't know. It was just like, it kind of played out in a way where it's kind of expected of like a luring dream. It's like, oh, and you mm-hmm. have two kids here. And it's like, oh, you're also like you married and you're like, you're now royalty and all this stuff. It just like, it hit those beats too obviously for me to actually get invested in it because they haven't really, they keep, it almost feels very forced. It's like they suddenly have this relationship and Lan and her kept, they just keep having this back and forth. Like their entire relationship at this point is like the, no, we can't have a relationship, which feels very much like those comic book superheroes where it's like their whole relationship dynamic re- like it revolves around this idea of you can't have a relationship yeah yeah so well, that, that, that makes it easy to romanticize right when it's not really that real mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so it's just like it was too easy for me it's like it's not like this really awesome organic relationship that's been growing over multiple books where they're suddenly showing this could have and I'm like oh shit like I really want that for her I'm like you guys just started your relationship the last book it's hardly grown it's constantly just this like kind of puppy dog eyes back and forth between both of you of like we can't be together and then you getting mad at him and that's like that's the whole concept of this relationship <laughs> right now so it's like it's not there for me to actually feel like this was like much of a draw. It's like, I feel like it's being pushed on me as a reader and I'm, I don't know. So I like, I respect the fact it's like working for you, but for me it just wasn't. And then it's like interesting because it's, it's less the, it's less the relationship than the kid thing was specifically what, what hit me uh, yeah. at, at, at that point than the name. Then, Cause I don't, I think Lan's dialogue here is really stiff and, and unconvincing. Uh, but it was, it but also it was doesn't the, like, sound like land either. Like, no, it doesn't. It sounds like a different person, which makes sense, yeah. I guess. I'll alter reality yeah. land, but yeah. He, and the fact that he keeps calling, calling her wife instead of calling. Yeah, <laughs> like so it, it reads to me as like, almost like, <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. I'm having, I mean, Keely brought this up too, about the characters not reading as themselves. I'm starting to feel that way in this book because the, hmm. I'm having a hard time reading certain characters because they have so little personality in the last book that like Rand becomes off. Like I can't tell sometimes if it's because of this, like um, this is like the chapter priors, but, but like earlier on in this like segment of the, the chapters we're reading, but like there's moments where I don't understand these characters because they haven't been fleshed out enough that their decision-making doesn't feel like their character, but it's not because it's like against their character. It's more so their characters just haven't been developed enough that it like reads mm-hmm. in that trajectory. So like Rand will make a mature decision one moment and then a very rational one next or fall back to his first book behavior. Mm. And I can't tell if it's like the one power coming over him and he gets into that like, like almost drunken state where he does like bold moves and like, 
makes decision like his decision making is influenced by the one power or if it's just Rand growing as a character or if it's just the fact that Rand doesn't have enough of a personality of his own mm. that you can kind of tie behavior to one of them and i feel that way with Nynaeve as well and kind of like land here like land to me has been more murky than ever because the first book i felt like i had a rain on his character and then they switched it and now like this whole dynamic with him and Moraine's interesting and kind of like Nynaeve i don't know it's it's fascinating but it's also like i'm not sure if it's just because it's underwritten or if it's because they're growing mm-hmm. them now i'm, I'm kind of like in a mixed state of like how i feel about the character growth in this book some of it's very fascinating to me others it's just like it hasn't been earned or i don't feel like i understand the characters well enough to understand where they're going um that's it's that was just like kind of a, a my like a brain dump of like how i've been feeling <laughs> the last few chapters but then uh, to your point about the back to like this chapter and like the alternate realities i kind of was leaning towards what shireen was saying where she doesn't believe it is alternate realities because it feels too specific to the characters and their mm-hmm. their desires to be alternate realities like i to your it's point like a, a simulation them going missing yeah it feels like a simulation except to your great argument that like they're going missing so that actually feeds into the alternate worlds and like well and you can bring physical things there, like, out, out of it too yeah, yeah. We, so we like learned, that, yeah. that supports what you're saying but that, my brain was leaning towards what sharing was saying about it just being visions because of how hyper specific there so i don't know it could easily your point ties in with the world building better because mm-hmm. they've introduced this concept of like actively being able to go into other states of reality or alternate dimensions and to your point 90 forcibly opens up the gate again so that kind of supports the idea of like like what Rand's been doing with this like the stones and being able to channel back and forth between different realities so that all ties in nicer but it also feels very hyper specific like too hyper specific to be that to me so Hmm. I don't know I'm not sure if they'll give more if if we're meant to speculate for the rest of the books or if they'll like kind of give more specific answers later to this but i'm like still kind of like mixed on what i actually think it is so i think i i going back to your point about like lan and i haven't really earned this relationship yet i definitely feel that way and it, it really i couldn't really figure out like why am i not buying into this at all and i think it's because it's so fucking fast like yeah. we figured mm-hmm. out like the the span of the four or the 14 books is really really short time period so this feels i'm i'm reading the um the no fear shakespeare version of romeo and juliet which is mm. just a, a version of shakespeare plays where half of like the left hand side is the original text the right hand side is like the mm-hmm. modernized version so you can understand what the fuck you're reading and this is really my first time diving into romeo and juliet since like high school i think mm-hmm. but something I'm, I'm finding out like so like they see each other across the room and they're like oh i fucking love you and like <laughs> that's how it that's how it feels right, with, right. with Nynaeve and Lan. It's like, he is the only other grown-ass adult. <laughs> like, the only other man <laughs> that has grown near you. Because you think of the, mm. the two rivers that you're traveling with as kids, and then there's Moraine, and then there's Lan. So it's, is it a relationship of convenience? Because that's kind of what it feels like. And I think it was, was it the end of Eye of the World where, so I can't remember which one of you, but one of you said that, like, you found the scene between Lan and Nynaeve. Yeah, like, yeah, so we, we had op- opposite views on that. Yeah, yeah and I found it so <laughs> shitty and stupid. And, like, that's, it's definitely the yeah. same thing now where it's, like, you know, they look at each other across the room and then Nynaeve all of a sudden ends up crying and it's like, don't talk to me. And I'm like, but what did you talk about? Like, you have to share what your relationship is. That it just, it doesn't really, it, it's just not really making sense. I don't buy it because it just mm-hmm. seems so surface level, um, which is unfortunate because I think, you know, it could be yeah. good. I like Lan, but. I, I mean, I think the surface level is a big part of it. I don't think it can be discounted the extent to which this is two extremely hot people uh, meet, meeting <laughs> each other and 
hitting it off uh, in a big way. I think the yeah, se- yeah. I think the land sex appeal is a big part, of, especially when it's on screen with uh, with uh, Daniel Henney and Zoe Robbins. I don't. I think that's a not insubstantial <laughs> factor in going in there. Um, and maybe why it didn't didn't click for me as much un- until the TV show. But but also, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like this is endemic, not yeah. just to fantasy but to a lot of fiction that there's a you know sort of convention of infatuation you know infatuation into into love as being the same thing and that that love love at first sight dynamic and then sometimes that's played out and the characters do get together and suddenly then you have that end of the graduate moment of oh wait do we even really know each other and uh what what happens next kind of deal and then they have to figure things out from there and I'm, uh, yeah but uh, but i don't want to like criticize the trope because i i think there is actually it's based in reality because i can't name the number of times where i have fallen for someone or felt like i've known somebody very like even if it's not in a romantic sense but like in a friendship sense, like sense happens very quickly for me with some people and then other times it takes months for to for that to grow so it's like i do think depending on the individual you can feel, you can know somebody very quickly mm-hmm. and just like you're your wavelengths kind of connect in terms of your personality and the dynamics. So I don't think there's, I don't think that's just Hollywood, but I feel like if it's done poorly, then it's just like, it's really not convincing. It feels very like nineties fantasy trope of like this forced dynamic of like what Keely's yeah, talking yeah. about, where it's like, you're the only <laughs> other man around. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. the story only allows you to exist as like the kind of the romantic interest. Cause there's no one yep. else available. To, like... <laughs> and I do want to say like, it's hard for me because like I can pull out different things to be able to relate to different characters like everyone does obviously but this is also one that I'm like mm, bullshit because I'm a serial monogamist <laughs> I've been with my partner for in two weeks it'll be 13 years so this uh-huh. idea of seeing someone and being like oh my god I love him yeah, like yeah. you don't know shit about him right? <laughs> you know he could do everything you fucking hate once you live together so that's why it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really vibe well for me but I agree with you Caleb that Please play that up more in the show because it is so satisfying. <laughs> Ironically, that sounds like exactly the sort of thing that Nynaeve would say as wisdom to somebody <laughs> like the you don't fucking know him thing. Like you can just see if anybody else were in that that relationship and she were advising it externally. It's like, what do you know about this guy other than that he looks really good with his shirt off then handles a katana really well slicing for all yeah. locks open but uh but but that, but it, but that feeds into her character nicely though because yeah, Nynaeve yeah. as a character is full of hypocritical contradictions True. in a good yes. way yep. her whole character yep. is based around she has these like hot desires for things and she wants these irrational or like these uh, like heated or controversial things but she also wants to be this human conservative yeah. that doesn't yeah. want to like yeah she doesn't indulge she's too bummed that she has this very kind of like conservative mindset like she grew up in this st- very structured environment where you're not supposed to want these things and that's very realistic to a lot of people in life when they're in these very stifled kind of rigid environments where you had to have that but she's learning that her personality doesn't meet that so she's like a walking contradiction because she's always like to your Mm -hmm. point she would criticize anyone else for doing that but she really wants that on like yeah so hopefully her character grows to recognize that and gets over it but the moment makes sense because like everything in her life is a contradiction in terms of like what she inwardly wants versus what she like um externally like what she's like saying on the the surface level to everyone else and speaking of lan i guess in that context we also get the scene with with lan and moraine that the show kind of transported it was one of many things they took from the great hunt and put back into season one where moraine brings up the what will happen to her bond with uh with Le- I mean I think she's brought it up before in in the book but not not in like where we see them have this long conversation kind of way until now of 
what's going to happen uh, when she dies, which we get the yeah. sense that she is starting to think or has always known will happen before Land dies. Like to her mind, like she is on this um, potential suicide mission to save the world here, the thing that she and Swan have going. And, and so they have the conversation here about, you know, uh, she's doing it in kind of a fucked up way and it kind of like this is what's going to happen whether you want to or not um, because I'm not going to let you go commit suicide uh, out of out of grief and, and loss of this and I want you to eventually have what you want if you're not going to take it you know so that um, that you and Nynaeve can be together is the implication um, and uh, and they and you know they sort of have this big argument and falling out over that in the context of I'm I'm loving I'm loving the the setting here, even though we don't get to see them much. Of these two Aes Sedai, like extremely old, even by Aes Sedai standards, who everybody's forgotten about them at the White Tower, who are just living their best murder she wrote lives in the small village <laughs> cottage. These these two these two old lesbians who just love their books and who love their love their cottage core life together, uh, study studying everything and and you know just like filling this great little niche in the village and and uh, and just being the like the the respect the, the two respected wise women in in town and probably solving murder mysteries on the, on the sides on on the weekends um as as the backdrop for <laughs> for Moraine's study retreat here yeah i really enjoyed the, those two characters i hope that we get so much more of them <laughs> Um, but yeah, I did not like, that was a whole scene that made me really not like Moraine. Um, mm. I've had kind of mixed feelings on her, but that one felt so unbeen, like unbelievably, I can't talk to um, <laughs> unbelievably <laughs> manipulative. There we go. Mm. Jesus. Um, because she truly is treating Lan as if he's an object, uh, mm-hmm. where she's, mm-hmm. she knows based on her history with him that he will have very strong emotions and he reacts on his emotions and she's trying to control them by just pawning him off to the next person with his like, you know, honor and loyalty is also a huge deal to him. So automatically bonding him to someone else who will then bond him to a third person. It's like, that is so fucked up. Like if you respected him at all, you would actually have a conversation with him about what that's going to look like. Like, you know, I am going to die probably before you let's, you know, let's set up my next of kin. Let's set up my power of attorney. Let's fucking go. Like don't, Mm automatically be like well i don't actually care about your emotions but i'm gonna make it seem like i care about you so much that i have to take control of you because you won't be able to handle like fuck you 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 respect him and trust him enough to save your life and be basically your bodyguard but not enough to like make his own decision i just i really didn't like that part with her and and he and she knows that he won't like she does give him the out here like the option of ending their bond which I think that that's a, a a thing that I didn't even remember was a show difference because in the show it's implied they don't know how to how to end the bond and she's like I wonder if this is possible and asking uh, asking Anaya about it but here or a lot is it Alana I think Alana about it but here giving sort of giving Landy out of well you know you can you can if you don't if you don't like this setup you can you can leave and stop doing this but she know she knows Land's not going to do that he like you mm-hmm. said he's like there's no way in a million years he would forsake his vows and mm-hmm. uh, and not see this mission through and she could have just presented this in an adult way presumably but yeah she's got to do it in the the emotionally manipulative like get him furious about it uh by springing it on him kind of way yeah which which, oh sorry no no which which i guess here just feeds into the perception that Nynaeve has of her this is maybe the most we've ever seen Nynaeve's vision of uh, or a version in her head of Moraine confirmed in reality, maybe. Yeah, it's just such a contrast to the. Sh- I think the show handles them really nicely, like especially the scene where he's mourning um, 
Stepping. his friend who passes yeah in that whole episode like that that was a good moment of like showing that they have this emotional tie together and that even though it's like not a romantic one it's just like they really fear uh feel for each other and like the mm-hmm. when she starts getting like teary-eyed or like i don't know the um why am i spacing on her name her name right now marine's actress <laughs> like the star Rosalind, of the show Rosamund Pike. yeah yep yeah. <laughs> yeah pike is like so good at conveying that just with her face and kind of the intense stares and like the tragic stares like there's this really cool emotional bond between her and then she also starts to develop that with Rand, which i find interesting because it it's playing into this book and their connection um but i just i think the show handles it so much better here she just comes off so cold and cruel to keely's point it's like it's such a manipulative mm-hmm. way of handling it and i yeah. don't see any positives to it it's just it's cold and not emotional at all. Like it just, she just like twisted around. She's like pawning him off like an item. It doesn't feel like she's treating him with all the respect he deserves for all of her. Like in the show, there's just so much more respect there and kind of a and trust. A yeah. Reg- yeah. Trust and recognition of like all the stuff they've done together. And it's like, while I like this chapter and kind of the way it builds these characters, I also think it comes off very cruel and I don't know, takes her in a different direction. Well, and the the green Aja that she wants to bond him to, do we even know who the hell that is? I didn't recognize that name. It's Morel. Um, she is. I th- I think we've had her name mentioned, but uh, she's not the one who who dies in the show, right? That's not the same. No, one? that's no. Uh, no I think not... I think she's in the beginning of this book, though, isn't she? At like in the fortress and everything, and she's one of the ones speaking with Marine or my yeah, confusing I, I, them. Is she? I think I think there's so, so many there, there were so many I, either. I, yeah. I know. let uh, me see I've been trying uh, to write down their names but that to me also felt like even more of kind of like a punch in the face even hmm. as just a reader it's like you're gonna also bond him to someone that we don't really know yeah I, I don't know like uh, yeah I'm not I'm not really here for it <laughs> actually this may the end this may be the first time Merle is mentioned in the book as I just tried to search my uh my ebook copy of it yeah oh, wow. <laughs> so, so it's, I, yeah like we don't even know who this person is why yeah, her yeah. like we don't even know who the fuck she is it just felt like a slap in the face but hmm. so the, the point of morel is kind of as like a go-between right like morel will then mm-hmm. decide or will hold on to him until the next Aes Sedai that needs well uh, a, a order is until that until happening? Nynaeve is a full Aes Sedai is I it Nynaeve is the impl- uh, that was the implication I took from this okay. that, I was wondering that, about that, that, yeah. that Mar- I wasn't that sure if it was going to be Egwene, Nynaeve, or Elaine, who was now also popping up again. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm reading the show. I could be reading the show into it here, their version of the conversation, because that that was... I just had the sense all the way through that that Moraine was obliquely talking about Nynaeve, and I thought she had thoughts that referenced it, but I, I could have just been reading into it from from the other media <laughs> so often Well, it happen. could be because she has that whole like inner monologue about like, am I jealous of Nynaeve? Of like right, their yes, relationship. Yeah, yeah. So it could be, but also mm-hmm. because they, they brought Elaine back, who she, she's like besties with Egwene now. So that's why I wasn't sure. Yeah. And and Min, I am so glad, uh, so glad that Min is back and, and being. Oh, I guess, I guess before we leave Land and Marine behind, we did we did get the drag car after it like lurking, <laughs> right? it being the Chekhov's gun, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the entire first book and then never going off and never showing up until now, like you said, like you said, Kelly, um, which does turn out to be, uh, you know, like a, a pretty a pretty a fearsome um, vampire, like clearly vampiric kind of creature uh-huh. it feels like it has this like hypnotic and then and also like suck your soul out along with your life feature going and we and we learned that it was that none of them sensed it coming which which people who wield the one power should be able to sense shadow spawn uh and things of the power coming so they're being shielded by the black aja is the conclusion that moraine mm-hmm. and the other 
uh, the other sisters draw um, and nearly kills her, nearly kills Lan. And, but then uh, James, the other, the, the warder for the, for the two lesbians um, show, shows up and they're, they're able to three of them together. Cause it's not able to like hypnotize all of them at the same time fully are, are able to kill the thing. I think, or did it, or did it fly away wounded? I got, I just read that chapter like two days ago. No, they, they, they kill, they, <laughs> they, kill they kill it. And then they have to kind of like get rid of the evidence before, before oh, right the villagers right. come up. And yeah. I, I assumed it, they've been kind of developing this thing where it's like the, I said, I need like a few seconds. And I like that the show kind of builds on this because it makes like an interesting kind of relationship dynamic between the warders and the Aes Sedai. But it sounds like they can't do stuff on a moment's notice. Like when they have to tap in, there's almost like this charging mode or state where, it takes them a few seconds to kind of get into the ability to like channel and kind of like start using the one power because mm-hmm. she has to type tap into it. They even say like Marie mm-hmm. doesn't have enough time to do that before it kind of like leaps at her because it was protected. So it's like this feeds into the way that white cloaks could potentially kill them because it's like you had to catch mm-hmm. them off guard seems to be the only way to like kill an ice die because once they start channeling, you had to be able to meet them power level wise and like be able to channel back so it's like it's fascinating that they so i guess if, if they're cloaked like this one was they're that's the way to kind of get to an ice today if you're going to send like dark beasts after one well and that kind of fits in with like the other ways that the either the good guys have been able to get the bad or the bad guys are able to get the good is like just wait till they're asleep and then like, <laughs> they sneak in and they get up yeah. and like speaking of that Logan is of, back it sure is <laughs> this, this <laughs> creepy ass man just like walking around outside the odd. On outside the white watch. tower <laughs> yeah and they're just like you're not supposed to be walking here well you let him go like of course he's gonna fucking go where you don't want him to go well except yeah, not really because he's, he's being trailed at all times and like like live it like regularly checked for any sharp con- contraband because um because they because you Ed even talks about it here like all, all he thinks about now is trying to end his life basically which is this um what is the purpose of keeping alive if you're just gonna do, that seems almost more cruel than just like finishing oh, it, it, just... it is right that's well that's the it's the example that they make to the world and this is what we do to false false dragons kind of way right but um, also like sadistic. they keep saying like they don't have many eyes to die like mm-hmm. there are not many there are fewer and fewer getting kind of created passing through that so then why are you assigning some as a fucking babysitter for this man like stop being petty and just <laughs> let him die chain him up in a room somewhere and if he has like a hunger strike or tries to bash his head in the wall like just let him do it like following him around is just kind of annoying and it it takes away from their ability to do anything else fucking beneficial yeah it seems super spiteful and kind of just cruel again kind of like feeding into 90s like uh genuine dislike of that makes a little more sense Mm. And on the on the dwindling numbers thing, we get the theory from Sherium here for the first time an explanation for why there might be fewer and fewer uh, potential Aes Sedai, fewer and fewer channelers, and they're getting weaker and weaker. She presents the theory, uh, which is very controversial, that they are culling the ability to channel the one power from the human species because for uh, thousands of years now, they have been systematically hunting down and and cutting off and killing the men who can channel and that that might be gradually draining the ability to do so out out of humanity um which seems immediately pretty plausible to me that that like clicked i think as an explanation in a, in, a, in a lot of ways and sets up a lot of tension with um for how they're going to handle this going forward and the red aja in particular and what and what their mission is but we we get a lot of drops about like the, it, these chapters are just so quickly bringing us up to speed on the way things work or might work within the White Tower and 
um, and, and on what's gone on before and how Tier Unreal work. It's a whole lot of like rapidly getting up to speed here with um, with lore and with and with explanations of of the of magic and the world in a lot of ways. So I have a question on that though. Are they saying that you need as much as many people able to access the power, not necessarily using it, but able to access it to keep it alive in future generations? Or that by getting rid of the men that can channel, you're breaking off and it's not something that passes only from female to female. That that's Sherry Sherry's theory. Yeah. She she believes that it has a genetic component, although she doesn't she doesn't use the word genetic, but believes that um that if you are, that you're effectively, you know, culling half the people who uh, who carry this this gene, for lack of a be- better word, the the ability to channel, and that it is communicated uh, down, and that presumably if um, if people start to manifest the power, usually in their late teens, the, and and then promptly get hunted down, if if they're men, you're not gonna you're not having nearly as much chance to pass on mm-hmm. that trait. If it, if it, if this is true, and this is the way that the ability with the one power is passed down because they don't really know much about how that works. But if, but if Sherry's theory is true, then, then maybe it would be something like, you know, if um, there, I, I don't know whether it's a latent and a latent thing, or if you, if you have two channelers who have a kid that there, that there's a much higher chance of that kid being able to channel or being more powerful in the one power. We don't really get an explanation of the mechanics because it is just this hypothesis that she has and mm-hmm. doesn't really have any way of testing or anything because it's, because it is so controversial and erupts in huge arguments with the Ajas over at, because the mission of, you know, the Aes Sedai and, and, and explicitly of the Red Aja is to make sure that they hunt. Oh, and, oh, and she mentions too that I don't think I'd realized this, that the White Tower was built after the breaking of the world. And for 300 years, men were still a part of it. And they tried to coexist and they tried to find a way to cure uh, the Dark One's taint during that time. And eventually we were like, well, this is fucked and yeah. the world is destroyed and we have to give up at this and, and, and that's it. And then, and then hunt down all the male channelers at, at that point, because there was it was just hopeless and they destroyed the world in doing so. That was an interesting revelation. I had, in that chapter, I did have some interesting notes around. One, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Egwene is like, when she finds out that like, I and I can kind of sympathize with her. And I'm also kind of just like annoyed because it's like every single female character. But like, when she meets all these women, they're like, oh, I know Rand too. Oh, like, my like, oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Like these motherfuckers! Like she's like, Rand uh. kills me for dancing with one boy, and apparently he's like flirted or like kind of like been attracted to like every single woman he's ever met on in the first book. I, it was just like kind of this funny like human relationship. Yeah. Just like wow, this is like super childish and like yeah. just the ridiculousness of, of the the women and male like men uh, dynamics in here and just like the ridiculous like they're all like like oh I love Rand. I'm like Rand. Is the most like personality less person in the first book, and oh you all are God. like, oh, he's so like, oh, like it's like I could just feel he's there. so like, mysterious. Like, a, a of- <laughs> yeah, he's like mysterious and handsome and tall, and he has so much potential. And just like he's just a, a bumbling like farmer who gives no indication. Like he has no ability to flirt. He's super awkward. He's yeah, kind of yeah. stupid. It's just like oh, it just like. It makes me hate Rand a little bit because it's like he doesn't deserve this, like the fawning after him that all these like female characters in like this book are you, like giving him. You <laughs> like, get the sense that literally the only like what it means to be that more than even in the Taveran thing, because, you know, they point out, oh, the lives of everyone who come into Rand's orbit have been changed. Yeah. And it's like, well, yes, but that's also true of everyone who's come into Nynaeve's orbit or or yeah. or, you know, or Matt's orbit or or any any of the bunch. 
Uh, but you get the sense that Ryan's superpower in Eye of the World, apparently, was being Yosha Stradowski and having like supermodel <laughs> looks and people just like spontaneously mooning uh, over over because it's, it's baffling, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. There is, like you said, there's nothing about his personality that indicates anything's going on there so far. It's also it, it's not as clear in the show with the actors that they've hired for mm-hmm. these characters. But we have to kind of remember the context of like, yeah, Rand is going to stand out because in the lore, he's a six foot six ginger <laughs> surrounding by every like he's going to fucking stand out. Jerry, right, right, my yeah. partner, is six foot six and people fucking notice him. Like, yeah, of yeah. course, everyone's going to be like, oh, shit, I know Rand. Yeah, because he's a fucking tree. Like, of course, you're going <laughs> to recognize like him when he comes player. through. And, and yeah. all the red the redheaded tree people uh, almost conquered yeah. the world like like 20 years ago. So. Yeah, like yeah. apparently he clearly looks like an Aiel. He fucking stands over top of everyone except Loyal. And he's carrying a sword with a fucking symbol on it that apparently means something to everyone. Like, of course they're going to fucking yeah. recognize yeah. him. He doesn't have that aura in the show at all. Maybe it's because he's surrounded by equally hot people that are almost as tall as him. Just like everyone is hot in that yeah. show. So it's like, Rand does not stand out as like a supermodel because like everyone is on his level. <laughs> like in the group. Like, honestly, Matt is more attractive than him in my opinion. So it's like... Even if you, like, throw him in, like, just kind of, like, shitty clothing, it's, like, and he's, like, all sulky and everything, he still comes off with so much more charisma and personality and just, like, the look. So, it's, like, to me, it's hard to, like, get rid of that image now that we've had. And, like, Nynaeve is, like, very attractive and just, like, angry. So, they're all, like, super attractive folks. And then, like, in this book, apparently he's supposed to be, like, a level above everyone else and it's hard to I, remember I don't, that. I don't, even, I don't even know if he is because all of them are descri- they're described in that way by by the people who meet them. They're all, Not like, Matt the, and the, Perrin, the, though, like. They are. They are. Parent Parent has been. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the broad shoulder. The like the the way. Oh, that's true. He's like tall and like yeah. He's like he's yeah. He's got like yellow eyes. So of course (laughs) stand out. Yeah. It. uh, I was cracking up at that. That every single time she was just like you know as soon as she meets Elaine it's like oh another woman that knows my man. Like how big is your circle though? Like how big is the circle of all of you? How many fucking men have you met in your life? Of course you're gonna remember everyone. But, but I did. <laughs> but then the table flips, and it's hilarious because, like, the next sentence or paragraph is like, "She just met the most attractive man she's ever seen." He's like, "Yes, she's beautiful. Right. Yes, Galad, Galad, who is the, the so yeah, uh, Crusader Orlando Bloom. I think is, yeah. that, is the vibe <laughs> yeah. that they're giving off here." <laughs> Oh, it's just like, it's so ridiculous because he'll meet like, he's like meeting the most attractive women he's ever seen before. Like, they're all so sheltered. <laughs> it's just like so groaning because it's like, oh, you're the most attractive person I've ever yeah. met now. And she's like meeting men for the first time. And she's like, you're the most attractive man I've ever met in my life. And they're all like feeling guilty. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, they're, it's like a lot of like innocent sheltered folks just like kind of going out in the world. And like, it's cringy kind of like watching them interact with other people. Because <laughs> it's like, they just... Uh, they're they're so immature in a lot of ways. Don't don't worry, Gawain. You're really hot too. No, <laughs> oh my god! But it's also, I mean, it it just it's falling. It just because it's at the front of my brain. It's falling into the the whole Romeo and Juliet thing, where like Romeo is yeah. obsessed with Rosalina, and then everyone's like, "But have you seen another girl? Have you <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. looked at anyone else? Maybe she's an uggo <laughs> compared to anyone else." And it's like, you know, if all of this is happening, like, why is no one else attracted to Lan? Like, why is Nynaeve the only one? If they immediately fall in love with, like, every man they see, why is no one else, like, attracted to, to Lan's character? I don't, I don't know if it's like part, partly the the age thing that they're all going for the people in their in their same categories. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. Nynaeve is a little older. 
Um, no one's tried to, to like, yeah, <laughs> folks older than them. Although people well, have com- commented like, well, it's clear why you're into him, Nynaeve. They have, they have said that like in the course. Yeah, of, like they also imply that like, like he's hot, like in a world yeah, yeah. full of hot people. Why are you discriminating? <laughs> <laughs> like, like everyone that's hot, even fucking some of the characters that they've killed off have been decent looking. Like they're not, this is not necessarily a world of uggos. So let's, <laughs> let's equally love everyone. Oh. <laughs> not to not to change topic because this is fun but i did have an interesting like did anyone pick up on i think a lot about the quote because they have on i don't know about the book versions you have but mine has like the the quote by uh george rr R. martin kind of giving praise like his huge ambitious wheel of time series helped redefine the genre um and that's on like the back of, of all uh, the, yeah, the tour this, paperback i think i know where you're going with this yeah. <laughs> yep. and then, like, on page, like i think it's like 306 in the version i have but like they start talking about the great game uh-huh. i was like i wonder like there's a lot of like politics and like medieval like fantasy stuff that do- does this but these were only released a few years apart and i wonder if this was like inspiration that fueled like a more developed version of this because it's like they hint at it and they're like oh yeah right there's this great game of like politics between all the nations and it's like it gives like a little foreshadow I don't know if it is going to be foreshadowing if they're going to dive into this. I don't feel like this is as interested in politics as much as more traditional like hero's journey fantasy. But like, I just wonder if this moment was just like what sparked like a lot of juices in Martin's head when he was like doing Game of Thrones. Because it's like the same language and the kind of the same concept there just like definitely fleshed out a lot more. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get into this more. But I am um, even though and I did have that sense, like I remember I think it was in freshman year of college, I was introduced to a song. Oh, no, no. It was in high school, A Song of Ice and Fire. Some people introduced me to it and I started reading Game Game of Thrones. I'm like, wait a minute, like like Game of Thrones, like the Game of Houses and Dyson yeah. Bar, <laughs> even though it came a few years before. But now reading this and especially like Kathy Enners and the way that they are described as engaging with this, it almost, despite proceeding, Game of Thrones reads as like a parody of of the the great game in that sense, like the 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 ludicrous over the top extent to which every single person is assumed to be like a like a political manipulator on the level of Peter Baelish, and everyone is just at all times yeah. co- constantly signaling. It reads as like a, a parody of um of Renaissance like court politics almost mm-hmm. in that way, which you know it's not it's not like untrue that that everything was interpreted in that way, but the extent to which it it, I don't know. It's so, it feels so over the top in presentation in like a kind of heightened, almost, almost comical way that, that I don't mind. It's like a, it's a fun vibe that, and, yeah. and, and the fact that it's like, oh, well, and Carrie, you know, the, the, the fantasy French in particular, they are, they're the real, the real crazy ones about this. You come to the city where just everybody is, is, is aware of this, this hyper real game that's being played. I mean, but to that point, though, like, I don't know if that's totally, I mean, it does read a satire, but I think about like Twitter and the way people respond to global crises or things happening in other countries. Mm. It ever, everyone has an opinion. Everyone boils it down to like very black and white um, circumstances or like armchair perspectives. Analysis. And, like, <laughs> yeah, armchair analysis. Everyone's so quick to like throw comments out there, like even with the stuff happening right now, which I don't want to get into for like, like the politics of it, but it's just like. It's just fascinating to me that everyone has an opinion. And even if they've hardly given it two thoughts beforehand, just like everyone has like their analysis, their their opinion of other countries, how they operate, um, what's going on and all that. Even if they've only like read maybe like a Wikipedia article or like one or two articles like in their mm. life about the topic. <laughs> or I'd like never have met anyone from those places. Everyone has an opinion. So I don't I don't know if it's as ludicrous because it's like especially when you like if you only have basis of like word and like rumors and, and stuff coming from second and third like second and third hand then 
it doesn't mm-hmm. seem as ridiculous to me though if you're only hearing it from like inns and like random stories from like strangers and passerbyers i can totally see everyone just kind of having this like almost like racist or kind of uh i don't know persona based like view of everyone else hmm. yeah and it, it it doesn't necessarily fit with everything else for me which i think is why it does kind of come across as like a parody or like satire because it seems like everyone else is like either living in their own little small town where they don't know what anything is like they live by lore and like everything is rumored and people don't believe mm-hmm. trollocs are real and then there's the world is gonna fucking end and then there's <laughs> you know well i want to be king and i want to be king and so it just that it just feels stupid and it's like d- y'all don't know like you're about to get killed you're about to get mited and it just it doesn't really fit for me so i don't necessarily i mean i've said before like i don't enjoy politics in in any genre mm. in, in in any way really and for it to just pop up it's like oh here's another interaction where there's going to be different houses or different factions different towns mm. whatever it's like i don't give a shit give me more of these fucking dracar noirs that are coming <laughs> and killing people like we need more of the beasties and less of this bullshit yeah they haven't really nailed down their tone yet it's like or uh-uh. like kind of the direction it's like they're still i think he's getting closer the first book was all over the place felt like just like a secondhand Lord of the Rings like Walmart version um and it was like <laughs> still trying to figure out its pace I think we've gotten more of the horror you're talking about Keely and he's getting there but I think I think as a writer and kind of building the series he's still kind of dabbling as like what he wants this like series of books to be like mm-hmm. is it high fantasy is it like all around the hero's journey does he want to get into more politics in the countries because he's building out a lot of different factions mm-hmm. and houses and different like he's building out a large ensemble cast and everything but like I think he I and mean, he's doing some more horror elements of like for a little while he was really dipping into kind of just like the bloodshed and kind of like the gore of like the dark friends and everything and just like Pat and Fane. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's like he's he's like kind of putting his like feet in different places and he's just like trying to like feel out what's working what's not so like he's getting closer but it's still there's a lot of like kind of like amateurish world building where he's like trying to he's too early in the exploration and it, it shouldn't have made its way into the book but I think his voice is is still coming out in this one. It's not necessarily like a lore dump for me. It doesn't feel that way, the way that it did with the first book, where he would kind of, you know, 150 pages of describing this small fucking shire, and then here's this massive lore dump. Um, Now it's more of like action scene, action scene, action scene, gore, Mm -hmm. flaying people. Oh, here's a new faction I'm not going to mention for the next six chapters, and then action scene, and then fucking fake romance, and it just... It feels weird, like, okay, am I supposed to care about these people that we're being introduced to because of Celine and this great game? Or am I supposed to care about Rand and mm-hmm. that immediate circle? Am I supposed to care about, you know, the Dark One and the Dark Friends? Am I supposed to care about the Seafarers or whatever group they were that was mentioned and then never mentioned again? Oh, yeah, and now wow. we're almost I through forgot the book. about that. <laughs> so it, it is, it does feel kind of all over the place. It feels like he gets it into his head of like, okay, I'm going to go this way with it. Ooh, but how do I get this to spread out over? 14 fucking books it's like well i need to introduce more so that i can tie it into later books and so it, it just my brain can't handle too many new people at the same time mm. um, well to, so. to that point though wait well, i thought Caleb, did you mention i don't think at this point he was thinking it was going to be 14 i thought the first three he was thinking were just, it was just going to be a trilogy and then later when did he make that decision to have more than three because I thought it was intended to be a trilogy for a while. It was intended to be a trilogy, um, but I think, um, well, we have Tom, Tom Dougherty saying. Tom Dougherty's like, "Oh, I always knew it was going to be more than the trilogy. Like I knew he, yeah. I knew, I knew how much Jordan world builds and spreads and spreads out, and that it was going to be more. So he optioned it for originally more, I think." 
Um, but I, I, I don't know exactly when Jordan realized. I think he knew be- probably by the, before the end of this book. Because uh, I know he knew before The Dragon Reborn was finished that he wasn't going to be able to do everything he wanted to do by the oh, end wow. of the, drag- the Dragon Reborn. Um, especially since, and I, and I suspect that he knew pretty early, like, I, I don't think he knew when writing Eye of the World. I think he probably knew now uh, by, by the time of... Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that, that supports Keeley's point. I just, I was, I've been operating under the assumption that, um, like reading through it, that this, he had the intention that this was just going to be three books and this was like the, the middle half. Yeah. And I guess even, even, um, it's weird when we talk about it, everything in these grand trilogies too, because even Lord of the Rings was only sold as three books as a matter of sales convenience. And it was, it, Tolkien either saw it as one book or, um, or is it eight books? How, how many sub? Because, you know, like you, you crack open Fellowship of the Ring uh, and it's actually three books, you know, in, in, inside the thing, each with their own name. Like, you know, the ring goes west or the ring go. Yeah. It's like like book book one um, concerning hobbits or, or, or something. The, oh, no, no, that's mm-hmm. even before. But, or the book one prologue concerning hobbits. Book one, the ring sets out and book two, the ring goes south and then two tower and never had any intention until... The publisher or his second publisher even was like, no, 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 we can't do it. This can't be one book. This can't be eight books. Like, let's let's go with three for printing purposes. Anyway, um, that particular trivia doesn't is neither here nor there. Uh, any, anything else that we want to uh, get to before we wrap up um, th- in, in these chapters, highlights that, that we didn't really discuss in any detail? Uh, Celine, she disappears. Mm, yep. And um, stealthily, sure too. Hmm? She's like, and stealthily, too. She's so suspicious. Oh, yeah, she sneaks out. <laughs> she somehow, yeah. like, avoids the guard. So there's, like, there's something going on with, like, it's it's very obvious, but I'm wondering if it's even mm-hmm. deeper than my, my guesses were. This inn, she she acts so uncomfortable the moment mm-hmm. they come to the inn, right? And I'm actually, uh, yeah. do, do we know why, what it is, or have a sense of what puts her off so much about this place? I don't know that they've necessarily made it explicit what it is, um, but it's, it's as soon as like their group starts getting attention at the mm-hmm. end mm. um, that I, I don't know if you were, we were supposed to think this way, but I thought that she made the uh, girl that works at the inn who like dropped something. Yeah. I thought that she made her drop that. Uh, I, because I had to read like, that two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause like they ask like, what is your name or where are you like, they ask her a direct question and all yep. of a sudden this girl just happens to drop like diversion. And so yes, it's like, yeah. that's how I read it. But then also, so she writes Rand or leaves Rand a letter and they explicitly state that the um, seal on it is like a crescent moon and stars. Mm. And is that, have we seen that symbol anywhere before? Because like symbols are such a huge deal in the show. And I, I just, I didn't know if that has been mentioned before that we should have been like, oh, that's who that is. It's a good question. Um, maybe. <laughs> Dad, I, I don't know if we had that particular symbol brought up. I can't um, recall. It, feel, it feels plausible. Yep. I, I, I don't know. That's a, I'll, I'll have to think about that, see if I, if I remember if that's come up before. But yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, I had the same read, Keely, although I wasn't sure at first because it's so subtle whether she causes a, something mm-hmm. to happen and the distraction. Yeah, but I think that's probably what's going on there. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look for it now, but I had, I can't remember where it was, but I swore that um, Elaine tells Egwene that um, the Red Aes Sedai, uh, that her uh, mentor or whatever had sent an Aes Sedai after Rand potentially. And I was wondering if that was like linked somehow to Selene. 
and if there's like a connection there, like some foreshadowing. I can't recall the section, and I'm not able to find it at the moment. Oh, we, yeah. when she talks about but, how Elida was searching for Rand and Camelin yeah, right after. Well, like, we 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 knew that happened before, and they showed because they showed up at the end right after the party went through the way gate. I, I, I yeah, but I swear there's like a sentence in that chapter, uh, like the the second last chapter in the set of reading mm-hmm. that where it's like, in addition to that, it almost sounded like she sent so uh, I said I to follow her, but maybe I was like mm. reading into it wrong or thinking through it wrong. So I was just like wondering if Celine could have been like kind of a, mm. a scout sent by the Red Aja to kind of like follow Ran. But she like swears up and down she's not. So yeah, I, I, don't yeah. think it, so... I don't think it's the case. She's probably something else, but it could just be like her really trying to like push away from the <laughs> the concept of being an Aes Sedai because it, it's very clearly she has channeling power and everything. So I don't know. Like really bad undercover. <laughs> she doesn't lie to though. Like she straight up says, I'm not an Aes Sedai. Um, oh, that's example, true. Which an Aes Sedai could not, in theory, could not say, right? Because of the, the Oath Rod. So she wouldn't be able to say if she, well, if she completed with the Oath Rod, she wouldn't be able to directly say, I am not an Aes Sedai. But if she exactly. was trained in Tarvalon mm-hmm. and wasn't chosen, then she could say, even though she can access the power. Which I think we've they've hinted at that like she had to be able to access the power to use the fucking the boulder thing mm-hmm. to end up where Rand was. Um, I mean the yeah, the I'm oath sure. rod in general though just feels like kind of sketchy because it's like, I feel like they were, <laughs> the Red Aja were abusing Rand at the beginning of the book without like pretense to know if he actually was a dark friend. So it's like if they naively just make the assumptions off the bat before like asking questions then it works and they're able to use their abilities to torture people like they just have to believe it you know <laughs> right right they just have to believe they're not lying and then they can it as possible and just believe anything so yeah. like as long as you convince yourself that it's true i don't know it, it feels like the trump kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can convince yourself it's true it is and he'd be bound by the rule be a very own. dangerous eyes to die <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who who she is. I I looked up, I looked her up in the back of the book to like try to spoiler myself to see. Oh no! And it just <laughs> it literally it just says a woman met on the journey to care or whatever. Um, Mystery. <laughs> yeah, which was such a bummer because I my brain is like she knows Moraine. Like I don't know, I don't. I, they, they haven't hinted at that at all, but my brain is just telling me that, like, okay, I don't know who she is, therefore, she must know Moraine somehow and is <laughs> trying to get Rand for something. Um, because it seems obvious that, like, she knows more about Rand than she said. Um, she knows he has the horn. She specifically wanted him to go to where she's mm. from. Mm-hmm. So... And that's where Moraine is from. So I almost kind of wonder, like, did, was she in training with Moraine when Moraine was Mm -hmm. trying to become an Aes Sedai? Um, Mm. Because we know that the Aja can be kind of fucking petty to each other. So (laughs) is this like something that they, you know, uh, a rivalry that started? Yeah. Like, did something happen? Could have. And it's an interesting, like, kind of fan theory. Uh, you just sparked something. It's not okay. You go first because like no, no, go had me remembering like it's not related to that topic exactly, but like we mentioned Moraine, and I remembered it was around the Moraine and Rand dynamic, which I thought was fascinating. That like I think the show started building this near the end, and I apologize for like segueing to this, but like there's a fascinating relationship building between Moraine and Rand in the books, and also the end of the show, which I thought was cool because they get more informal with each each other, and like the last episode, and they're starting to talk more, and there's like this connection of like the burden they're carrying, 
makes them more sympathetic towards each other. And I, I, that was my favorite part. I didn't like the last episode at all, but that was like the only parts I did enjoy was like that kind of bond that they're building together. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating, like between chapters 21 and 22, just kind of like the, the little like fun happening here where he's like, nothing is happening the way I expect, Rand said. And then like the following page, it's like, nothing is happening as I expect, Moraine muttered. Like they're just like, <laughs> they're they're building this bond, this mm-hmm. interesting dynamic where like yeah. Rand hated her initially. And now he's like, he's growing to really like her as a character, even though he still doesn't know too much about her he's like oh i wish i could talk to marine about this and it's just like there's something fun and interesting going on there i'm not sure where jordan's going with that but like the show seems to be already building on that dynamic by having them get a little closer together they go off on this mission they kind of dump everyone else and kind of go off on this quest alone Mm -hmm. there's like the solidarity there that's building and that's kind of fascinating like there's almost a sympathy with marine growing for ran um whereas before she was like grudging respect yeah something's happening there and then she also seemed very mad at land for kind of tampering with that and kind of giving influence to rants i don't know there's something i i I want to see where that goes because i I find it funny the the connections between them and kind of like uh, like i laughed like the last time rain was like i wish marine was here now it's like they're muttering the same sentences and everything so it's like Hmm. they seem to be in the same boat it makes it almost feel like moraine is kind of like this impromptu stand-in mother figure for rand because Mm. he doesn't he doesn't have that and then now it's very much the like i hate you mom i need you mom it's like (laughs) that's kind of what it's playing out to me is that she has so much like knowledge and she's doing things to protect him um and like pulled him from his dad but then it's also supposed Mm. to be the one that's like helping him and you know he doesn't necessarily understand her or her motivations Mm -hmm. or like really know what she wants to do um but like when she became very cold to him after it turned out that he could channel like i think that really hurt him even though he didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. say like you know i want your respect i want you to care about me but it was kind of clear afterwards that he was like you hurt my feelings mom yeah (laughs) i'm kind of all here for that relationship though i think that's one of the more interesting ones to me like Mm -hmm. that kind of like mother son dynamic is or like mentor we're not really mentor but just kind of like i don't know like watcher almost like babysitter for (laughs) it's like i find that interesting yeah we will see where it goes so if uh, if that's all for this week, I will try to find my place in, in, in the closing segments. Yeah, regardless, we'll be reading chapters 26 to 30 of The Great Hunt next time, folks. And uh, if all the stars align, we may have a an additional uh, person joining us who I will leave a, uh, a special mystery for the moment. Um this episode of Wadcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Keely, where can people find you on the internet? On Instagram and Twitter at Keely underscore reads. Dan, where can people find you? At, uh, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter under the handle Pansy Dan. Once again, you can find us all at Wattcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wattcast Podcast and support the show at Patreon.com slash Wattcast. You can, however, also support us by leaving Wattcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. It does help a lot. It's the number two way we find new listeners. The number one way, of course, is to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth means the world to us. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings at the turning of the Wheel of Time, but this is an ending. Farewell. Farewell.